following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, welcome uh, again to our week of prayer, but uh, the prayer time is now completed. This is night three, Monday night. We had a good time on the phone Tuesday as well, now Wednesday. These, these weeks just fly by, don't they? It's really incredible. Uh, we set, you know, five days that we're going to pray in a row, and uh, before you know it, we're there at the middle of the week, and we'll be at the end of the week soon. So, reminder for tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, okay? And uh, that's on the telephone only, not here at the building. Now, um, I should add that uh, we plan to have Jansen lead the meeting tomorrow night. He is going to do so from, I believe, his home with uh, hopefully a couple of the college students there. So we are going to actually be phone teleported into the Bible study, okay? Uh, And he's going to lead the prayer time. The students will pray with us, and then after we're done, they will go on and and continue at Jansen and Kaylee's place to have a little Bible study and uh, usually they eat a few goodies, so after the prayer time, I might have to spin over there and see what's on the table. <laughs> All right, so anyway, let's turn our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 3, please. Matthew and the third chapter. I was so pleased to hear from Pastor Harding today. Uh, just a really, really wonderful answer to prayer that God has done for us and uh, for their church and for especially for their family. Our last time we looked at uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and in this section, uh, John the Baptist is introduced uh, to us in a very abrupt fashion, as we mentioned, and he uh, is preaching repentance to the people. He's baptizing the penitent ones who are associating themselves with his message And then he's also preaching judgment. In other words, he's not just saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but he's saying also, if you don't, then you're going to face a very serious situation. And he's pointing our attention to the Messiah uh, as well. He's saying, look, there's one coming after me, and uh, if you think my proclamation of judgment is bad, just wait till you see about his baptism, which is a twofold baptism, one uh, by the Spirit, and one with fire, and that is not a good one, as uh, I think we mentioned. So that's just a brief outline, and, and hopefully we'll finish that section tonight, and then we're going to uh, hopefully go into verses 13 to 17, where Jesus is baptized by John, and then Jesus is affirmed by the Lord himself from heaven with a voice from the open heavens. Now, let me uh, have you just look with your eyes there at Matthew chapter 3, and let's pick up at uh, verse number 10. And John, preaching judgment here, says these words. He says, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Boy, I could tell you about an illustration about that, but I will spare you. Uh, It was actually just last night at our house. But uh, ask me afterwards if you want. Um, as some of you know, I have, uh, we have worked in uh, lumberjacking a little bit over the years and uh, still want to cut down a tree once in a while. So 
that is a very apt illustration for us. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, well, judgment is imminent, uh, John is saying. When it, when it says the axe is laid to the root of the trees, the tree represents a person. The axe being laid to its roots represents the immediacy or urgency of judgment. I mean, the, the lumberjack is there with his big two-faced axe, and he is lining up his first whack at that trunk of that tree. And so... This is a very serious situation as he lines it up to get his aim just right and starts chopping. Now, if upon inspection he finds that the tree is actually good, you know, in other words, it bears good fruit, he will not cut it down. But those trees that are found to be not producing good fruit are taken out to make room for either whatever project the lumberjack is preparing for or to make room for more trees that will produce fruit. It's like the, uh, the, the tree that the Lord Jesus uh, gave in a parable that wasn't producing fruit. And the guy said, wait, I'll, pro- I'll fertilize it for a while and we'll wait and see if it, it produces. If not this year, then we'll cut it down next year. Give it another chance. And isn't that a great picture of God's patience with us? You know, Give him another chance. Give him some more time to, uh, to produce fruit and to demonstrate a reality of, of salvation. So Uh, Repentance is urgent, John says here, not only because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but because judgment is imminent. So both the king is coming, he's going to show up here very soon, and judgment is going to be associated with that time. So the coming of Christ is going to establish his kingdom, but also will be associated with judgment. And let me just mention to you in Revelation chapter 14, you turn there, Revelation in the 14th chapter, I'll just share a couple of verses that are appropriate with this in mind. In Revelation 14, verse 15, uh, the Bible says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. This is the one who looks like the Son of Man, because it is the Son of Man. Um, and he says, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vines of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. To be clear, the first harvest is that of the Lord Jesus harvesting in his people. The second sickle, the second swat, you know, swath of the sickle is for those who are unbelievers who will be judged by God. And it says that they will be thrown into the great winepress of God's wrath, and that winepress was trampled outside of the city, and it will spare you the gore of the rest of that verse. But I'm sure you're looking at it now yourself, and you see what it says. This is using the sickle and the harvest metaphor for judgment uh, in the second half of that section, just like the axe is used as a metaphor for judgment in this passage of Scripture. 
Now, of course, the sickle, the first sickle that the Lord Jesus wields, that is for harvesting the earth of, uh, we could say, the wheat. The second judgment is of the tares, or the second harvest is of the tares, and they're thrown into judgment, whereas the first harvest, that of the wheat, they are gathered into uh, heaven and into the kingdom. Now, it says in uh, verse um, 12, I'm sorry, verse uh, 10, that uh, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you, uh, you have to ask yourself, what is good fruit? Well, it will be shown, as verse 8 says, this way, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Fruits worthy of repentance. Your life better look a lot like that of a repentant person. You know why? Because you're supposed to be a repentant person. And uh, there, that is the kind of fruit that is born out of a life of repentance, good deeds, not sinful deeds, a life full of good works, not bad works. And so if you bear that kind of fruit, you're demonstrating true salvation. And demonstrating true salvation means you will not be thrown into the fire as John is portraying here with this judgment. Now, let us uh, finish the section by looking at verses 11 and 12. Still sitting in the context of judgment here, but Matthew highlights the judgment by introducing the judge who is almost ready to come. In fact, he's so ready to come, he's right at the door, and uh, at this time, probably on his journey from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. He says this, John does in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I know I mentioned wheat and tares before, but here it's actually wheat and chaff. Same thing, same idea, but different figure of speech to communicate the same notion. Now, go back to the beginning of verse 11. Jesus, or John rather, is pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And he says, I am baptizing you with water unto repentance. So make sure you're clear about this. John is using the medium of water, the media of water. I don't know, is it plural or singular? Okay, he's using the stuff of water to indicate the identification of his message of repentance with the people who are being repentant. This is a ritual washing that does not actually wash away sin. It is a picture, like Christian water baptism is a picture. So he's saying, you repent, do you confess your sins? Then, yes, we put you in the water to symbolize that you have been washed because you are forgiven by God because you have repented of your sins. By the way, you do believe that it was possible for an Old Testament person to be saved, right? And how did they do that? by believing in God and turning from sin, the same way we do, believing in Christ and turning from sin. And that great act of conversion 
that is combined, the combination of repentance and faith together, those two interlocked, modifying one another, explaining each other, those two characteristics of the believer. And so they were coming and expressing their faith in God and their confession of sin, uh, and John was the minister who was baptizing them. But he says, though I do that, and you're coming, and that's it's wonderful and great and all, but he who is coming after me is mightier, so mighty, in fact, that John, the greatest born among women, think of that, the greatest born among women, not a greater man was ever born. Jesus said that, right, Matthew 11 or 12. We'll get there eventually in our exposition in Matthew, but not a greater born. He says, I am not worthy to even carry his, the lowest part of him, his sandals, that's amazing, isn't it? That's humility. Remember John in John chapter 3 said to his disciples, he must increase and I must decrease. Yeah, he is so amazingly humble here. Not a greater prophet, not a greater man than John the Baptist, yet once somebody is elevated into the kingdom of God, the lowest in the kingdom is even greater than John. Can you imagine that? That's God's work. That's what God does. And that's a blessing. So the Messiah, who is so much greater than John, is going to bring two baptisms with him. The one of the Spirit and the one of fire. The one is... So what I want you to... As I understand this, it's best for us to see that these are two baptisms, not one. Some people might get kind of tangled up and say, well, if this is a baptism of fire and the Spirit, what is that? You know, and it could be, some have tried to explain it, fire is a cleansing agent and this baptism of the Spirit, you know, it's all good. But I take this to be actually not a single fire spirit baptism, but two baptisms, one of fire and one of the Spirit. And I'll show you why that is in just a moment. The first one of the Spirit is good. The second baptism is terrifying. But neither of these is the same as Christian water baptism. Did you know that? Uh, so actually, we're going to have four. We could have four baptisms in view. John's baptism, actually five. John's baptism of the common person. John's baptism of Jesus, which is something different a little bit. Christian water baptism, which we're most familiar with. The baptism of fire and the baptism of the Spirit. Okay, now I'm not trying to slice and dice it up so fine, but you'll see why there are five. You understand that John's baptism is different than Christian baptism already, right? They're, they signify a little something different because now we're post-cross. So we've got those two separated. And John is saying, I'm baptizing you with water, but there comes one that's going to baptize in these two different ways. So those are two different ways than what John is doing. And neither of them are with water. One's with fire and one's with the Spirit. So we know that's different than Christian water baptism. Just, it's easy, though, if you keep in mind that baptism signifies identification. Baptism has to do with a connection to something. Um, so let's, let's look at this first one. Well, actually, the second one. Uh, look at verse number 12. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. So... You know, today that's a little tough to 
understand in our context because you'd say, what's the, what's the connection to our modern agricultural setup? Well, it's a combine that harvests wheat. And the combine does all the dirty work. It does the winnowing. You know, it's a winnowing machine, which is a marvelous machine, but we can't see so easily the figure here when, unless we kind of understand how they would do it. They would gather up all the wheat onto their threshing floor, a, a large you know, area where it's all stacked, and they would take the fork. Uh, they call it here a winnowing fan, but it can be a, a number of different ways, but a big, like a huge pitchfork grab a bunch of it, throw it up in the air, and hopefully if it's windy, the wind will take the light part, the chaff, and just blow it off. And then what will fall down is the wheat, the, the actual stuff that you want to use to make your bread with. So the winnowing fork was the tool used to separate the heavier and the lighter parts of the wheat that was that had been beaten or treaded out to split those two things apart. So actually you have to you have to harvest it, then you have to kind of beat it or do something to it, crush it like, like the combine machine does, and then it separates the chaff from the wheat. Then you've got, I mean, it, it breaks them apart. Then the winnowing process actually separates them, puts a distance between them, so you don't have to, you know, grind up a lot of chaff and eat it in your bread. You just want the wheat in your bread. So it separates the heavier and the lighter parts that have been... Um, that have been uh, beaten out. So picture a large pitchfork being used to throw a pile of grain and chaff into the air, one forkful at a time, until all of it is sorted out. By the end of the process, and you can imagine how your muscles would ache after doing that for who knows hours. <laughs> You've got to be strong, and your shoulders have to be tough, you know, and your muscles. But all of it's sorted out. All the chaff is out. All you have left is wheat pretty much on the ground there. And so that's the separation process. This is the very same kind of thing that the Lord will do at the end of the age. The wheat and the chaff are separated, just like Matthew 13 says, the wheat and the tares will be separated. Matthew 13, 30 let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Just like that in Matthew 3.12, Jesus says, or John rather says of, of him that he will do the separating process and he's going to gather his wheat into the barn but he's going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So gathering into the barn reflects the truth that Jesus will gather those who believe in him into his kingdom. To be in his barn is a place of rest and peace and welcome. Have you ever been in a very nice barn? Very nice, large farmer's barn. You think a barn is not a very nice place. I'm not talking about one that's filled up with cow manure, okay? I'm talking about one that's filled to the brim with hay, bales of hay, and maybe some machinery in there. Or maybe one that's been converted into a, a meeting space, big, huge timber structure, and all the nice, warm lights on, and, 
It's all sealed up, and on a, on a nice fall night, you go there. It's so welcoming. It's a nice place. You're going to be gathered into his barn to be welcomed at rest and at peace. This is associated with being baptized by the Spirit in that those who are so baptized by the Spirit of God, this is spirit baptism now, are those who are saved and they will live in the future heavenly kingdom. That's the barn. The chaff, however, is a picture of those who reject the Messiah. Their baptism with fire is a picture of eternal judgment. Now, why, is, why do I say that? Because it says he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, unending, eternal fire, unextinguishable fire. In the Bible, very, very often, although sometimes fire is used as a purifying agent, uh, you know, your faith is tried as though by fire. Um, but then there are other times, many other times, when fire is an agent of judgment. And that is what I believe is happening here in John chapter 15 and verse number 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Those are those people who are not true branches. They're fake branches. They're not really branches. And they are cut off and put into the fire. Let me uh, share with you one other verse that uh, comes to mind. It's found in the first psalm. It says, The ungodly are not so, but are like what? Chaff, which the wind drives away. Hmm. I don't know how to get across that to you. You hear no, but perhaps somebody listening after tonight online at the recording, to the recording, will, will pay attention to this. You know, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're like that chaff which the wind drives away. You won't be in the barn. You won't be in heaven. You won't be in the kingdom of God. You'll be driven away into a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. Notice also that the threshing floor will be cleared. Did you see that? In verse 12, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. There are only two kinds of people, wheat and chaff. There's no third kind, right, that's going to just hang around the threshing floor and say, well, I don't want to be wheat and I don't really want to be chaff either, so I'll just be neutral. No, it won't be neutral. A decision will be made in each and every individual's case with no exceptions. So that covers verses 10 through 12, and it took me a little longer than I thought it would tonight. Matthew here describes the introduction of John and Jesus and their common message. Now, I I haven't proven that statement fully yet, but I did mention it earlier. John came and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes in the next chapter and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Their message is the same. To the Jewish people and to the world, the message was turn to the Lord. Now, Matthew was writing to churches after, long after the events occurred, some decades, and he was writing to establish them and show them 
how the Hebrew Bible and the Jewish faith underlies and is connected to the new message of Jesus so that these churches could be well established. Just imagine, if you would please, that you have the Old Testament and you have maybe the book of James, maybe 1 Thessalonians, maybe Galatians. That's it. No Gospels? You cannot, we, had, we told somebody today, why don't you start reading your Bible in the book of John? Well, what if you didn't have the book of John? It's a good thing Matthew wrote the book of Matthew and John wrote John and that's John the Apostle and Mark and Luke and Paul wrote all of his epistles so that our faith could be undergirded uh, with these truths. So that is John the Baptist introducing the Lord Jesus. And now, uh, just let me introduce to you the next two verses, or next uh, four verses rather, five verses, in uh, verse 13. And we won't be able to go very far here, but we'll read them at least and be familiar with them again. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. So John is preaching, there's one coming, there's one coming, there's one coming, and then he came. And John tried to prevent him, that is to prevent him from being baptized, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Now, have you ever wondered what it means that Jesus had to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. We'll dig into that next time. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." When the Spirit of God came down upon Jesus, was that the first time that Jesus had an experience with the Spirit of God? Let's uh, hold that question and we'll look at it the next time. I want you to just think, though, with me for a moment on verse 13. You know, we read over that and we kind of just skip the significance of it. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. Do you have any idea what that was, what that meant? How long was that? Jesus traveled. Well, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is Jesus didn't just happen to come by the Jordan River and happen to see John baptizing and think, oh, that's a nice idea. I think I'll jump into that program. Just like Jesus and John chapter 4 had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment to be made there, Uh, The Bible tells us that Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. He traveled perhaps 70 miles, 70 miles, no car, no bus, no Uber, no taxi, no bicycle, okay, either by animal or by walking, 70 miles to go get baptized by John. That's amazing. This was the plan And it had to happen because verse 15 says, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting, appropriate for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had to do it. Now, why he had to do it, we'll look at next time. The best that I can ascertain, I can give you three interconnected reasons why that had to be the case. But we're going to stop for now, tonight, right here, and pick up. Uh, Lord willing, perhaps on uh, Sunday evening here in Matthew chapter 3. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we have enjoyed a prayer time 
And we've enjoyed touching on the meaning of several of these verses in Matthew's gospel. And Lord, I pray that you will do your work in us. If there is somebody who needs to hear the message of the call to repentance and to bear fruit and that judgment is imminent and that there's only one way to be gathered into the barn and that is to be repentant and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that people will hear that message tonight from these words and that we will be able to share that with others as we have opportunity. We're responsible. We've heard it. We know it. Help us not to be bashful or shy or ashamed of it because it is the truth. Even though our world doesn't like to hear about judgment and doesn't want to hear about sin, uh, that's all real and it will have real implications for people when the ax starts chopping. Lord, help us to be good stewards of this message, to preach what John preached, preach what Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is on its way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.